Welcome to, uh, you should have been here last week, and this is a podcast uh, done by two comedians. Uh, my name's Paul Ricketts. I, I've been a comedian of uh, <clears throat> years standing, and uh, I should introduce my fellow host, uh, Steve yes. Gribbin. Introduce yourself. Um, hello, I'm Steve Gribbin. I, I am also a comedian, and I've been going for years. Yes, and there's we a reason. We don't say how long we've been going, do we? No. No, because uh, I think you were saying to me, I'll actually let you say it, as we discussed no, it because every time you get into a car with a, a much younger actor and they say, uh, so uh, how long have you been doing it? If you, if you say anything over 25 years, this look of horror passes over their face, doesn't it? Yeah. As if they think, well, what are you still doing going down to uh, Taunton? Uh, because and I won't be doing this in 10 years' time. I'll be, I'll be hosting a, a game show on television. You can tell it in their faces, can't you? Yeah, and of course it never does happen after time. Most, most of them don't last five years. Uh, you'd <laughs> given up and got a job in Tesco's. Yeah. It just or, didn't work out for them. Yes. Oh, what a shame. So a shame. we are doing this particular podcast, which is going to be about promoters who I think uh, who are slightly weirder than comedians themselves. I started off as a promoter. I don't think you've ever done any promotion, have you, Steve? I certainly have. I, um, in the mid-80s, we did, uh, me and Brian, my partner in Skin Video, ran a comedy club at South Bank Poly. In, in Waterloo, and it only lasted uh, probably about six to eight months, and I would never do it again, <laughs> ever. Because <laughs> I got, you know, the, there was one famous night where no, none of the acts turned up, and we had to do an extended set and then call in a favour from two of our friends because one had had a car crash. To this day, I don't, I'm not sure if they had had a car crash or not. Have the car crash outside the room. That's uh, popping. <laughs> a lot of comedians <laughs> wait till they oh, get yeah. to the gig. For that. The reason we're doing this is we, we, we are, I don't think it's ever been done before. People have asked promoters what their motivation is or, you know, how they got started. And it is a little bit like um, comedians and um, promoters don't really talk to each other. It's a bit like, you know, uh, the infamous uh, mods versus rockers or, you know, we're not supposed to mix, are we? But, well, um, yeah. yeah. It's a symbiotic relationship though, isn't it? I mean, without them, there is no us. And of course, without us, there is, there is no there. I know. Are we like, I don't know whether we're the fish that nibble away at their toes. Oh, no. I was going to think, I was going hand in glove, but, you know, who's the glove? Who's I think the glove? No one wants to be the glove. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, the first person we're going to talk to is Spikey Mike. He owns, runs over 50 clubs uh, across the East Midlands, uh, some in the South. I mean, these uh, clubs... He's been doing them now for 20 years. They've just had the anniversary, and he's won the Best Midland Comedy Club Award twice and with the leading comedy website, Chortle, and the Midland Comedy Awards. Yeah, Spiky Mike, first person we're going to talk to, and here comes the yep. interview. I introduce you, Spiky Mike. You have no second name in comedy. You just are Spiky <laughs> Mike. No one knows <laughs> what your real surname is. So why Spiky? Throughout the 90s and um, most of the noughties, I had bleached hair a la Billy Idol. And I DJed throughout that period. And um, I was doing a club in Sheffield in the mid-90s. And I was away on holiday in pre-mobile phone days. And the promoter of the gig decided that we ought to um, not have any real names on there because he wanted to do everything cash in hand. Mm. And... So he assigned a name to me for the posters, and uh, it stuck ever since. So you were just named Spiky Mike 
by some yeah, other I promoter. Using my real name for DJing in the early days of doing comedy, people who I who came to my DJing nights were were quite a few of my audience. Yes, and as as you know, Paul, when you when you start out at comedy um, and you're shit, everyone wants to come and see you, and once you get any good at it, no one wants to come along anymore. Yeah, I never invited anybody when I started because I knew I was shit then. And now that I'm yeah, good, no, they still don't come. <laughs> <laughs> this is the chance for you to advertise your, you know, your enterprise. I mean, you might as well give the name. Funhouse Comedy Clubs. And how long have they been going? Well, it will be 20 years um, next year. So we're going to be having a big uh, load of anniversary stuff going on um, and a very, very, very special show that we're going to be live streaming to the world at the beginning of January, which we will be announcing uh, in the next month or two. All right. Okay. That sounds exciting. Possible bookings. And <laughs> you're not oh, famous enough. <laughs> no, well, obviously I'm not. <laughs> As the people watching this will know, who the, who the hell is that man? <laughs> so um, did you start off to become a comedian or to become a comedy promoter? I started out as an act um, in the 90s. I used to go to Just the Tonic every week. And then they did a new act night and I thought, oh, I'll give it a go. Um, and it was all right, but I didn't really get that many laughs. Um, so I thought I'll, I'll, I'll do it again, but not until I've written some more material. And then I did it again about a year later and it went amazingly well, um, which at the time I thought was because I was a natural comedy genius, hmm. but subsequently realised that the compare had bigged me up massively um, and had got the audience to really get behind me, as I tend to do with, with first-timer acts now as well. So, yeah. yes, I started out as an act, but the perceived wisdom uh, of the good people of the Chortle forums in those days that you'll remember, Paul, was that, <laughs> that there were way, way, way fewer clubs running now than that running then than there are now, mm. and it was hard, even if you were happy to travel all over the country to do more than one gig a week as a new act, and the, and the general advice everyone gave was if you want to get more stage time, was set up your own club. So um, I, I did so, and I set up a monthly club at um, the Leicester Princess Charlotte, um, as was then. And the reason I chose that venue was because it was a very popular live music venue, and I thought they've got an audience of people who go to live events. And so what do you prefer now, uh, performing? Because you still actually MC your nights. Yes, I compare. I, I don't really ever do sets nowadays. I, I did enjoy doing them, but I don't particularly like driving a lot. So I tend to do gigs that are all within an hour of home. Oh. Comparing and running shows appeal to me. And I think I'm probably better at comparing now anyway. Well, that's maybe because that's all I've done virtually for the last 10 years. Okay, I'll put it another way. What if you had to stop promoting because of a terrible accident and fire <laughs> in a East Midlands venue which killed, let's say, <laughs> Some animals, no humans, just uh, the cat <laughs> died, right? So you can't promote anymore. There's a ban, but you can perform. Uh, would that be satisfying to you or would you like it the other way around? Well, I, I, I obviously, I, I prefer performing, but financially, I would earn more money from promoting. So, yeah, from a point of view of keeping my children fed i'd rather be a promoter <laughs> <laughs> well at least you're taking your ego out of this and and obviously no animals were really hurt in that sort of made up mm. thing that i just said so uh, what so what gives you the most amount of pleasure on when putting on a comedy night 
And when you when you just see an audience laughing lots, you know, crying with laughter, and when you see loads of comedy, also the the little things that happen that don't happen every gig. If you get a, a really funny heckle or something that goes something different that happens in a room beyond what you might see on Live at the Apollo, those sort of magical things that happen are, are the best things of all. So, what gives you the most aggravation about putting on a night? Do you know I'm quite chilled about it acts cancel all the time which a lot of uh, promoters get annoyed about but it doesn't actually bother me that much to me it's just a fairly integral part of it if you're going to get that bothered about acts cancelling then you're in the wrong job because mm. a lot of acts cancel probably 25 percent of acts you've got on any bill to me it's just part of the job and anything that you wish you knew before you started all of this no, not really. I don't think I've made too many stupid mistakes over the years. I started off very low budget. Hmm. Um, there was a lot of people advising when I first started, you know, pay, get pro acts on and put full pro nights on. And actually, I think that was a really bad, would have been a really bad idea. And I ignored that advice because hmm. I think I'd have just lost loads of money. Yeah. And um, so I started on a very low budget gig. I paid headliners 30 quid and which was fine. It was good for practicing becoming a compound. It's good for practicing becoming a promoter because if you're not experienced as a promoter, mm. you probably won't be very good at it and you'll just lose loads of money. So I think it's better to start low budget, build up, and then when you get good at promoting or you've built up a bit of an audience, then you up your budget and get higher level acts in. So there's the whole thing about when do you expand? Because you started off with uh, how long did you just have the one club? About a year, and then I got asked to do the Blessington Carriage, hmm. which um, is still running. So that's that was launched 20 years ago as well. And then I think somebody gave me a couple of clubs after that. He said he 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 got a couple of well quite popular clubs that were pulling big crowds, but his day job was too busy, and he gave me Ashby Lazuch. It wasn't actually the venue we're in now, but oh, it was right, okay. quite a good venue. Hmm. But um, that's turned out to be our premier town and so that was very lucky but he sort of handed it to me because the uh, the previous two gigs have both been quite low budget so that i think that was our third third or fourth club and so we gradually started building i i didn't really i, I think the in, initially you sort of chase clubs but then after you develop a bit of a reputation then you start contacting you they hear oh yeah we I see you doing a club you know in the next town could you do it to our venue and nowadays, that, that's all that ever happens. I never chase venues. I just wait and see if, you know, if, if they want to contact us to run shows. So how many uh, venues you got at the minute? It is ho hovering fairly close to 50 now. Fifty? Um, 50? Yeah, it's in the high 40s. I, I didn't really want to take on many more. I was being quite selective, but... I'm fearing that venues may shut down if they can't afford their gas and electric bills. Mm. I was kind of thinking, oh, I may as well just take everything that's on offer. I'm, I do fear that some venues are not going to survive this winter. So I think on the plus side for venues, because some pubs now, they need to be busy all week to pay for these higher costs. Mm. There may be a lot of pubs that think, oh, we make our money at the weekend. We're not that desperate to do stuff. Whereas I think now more venues are looking for things to fill the whole week up. So particularly some of the more proactive venues, I think independent venues tend to be more proactive than the chains. 
Mm. Nearly all the venues we deal with are, are independent ones. When I'm starting to get busier and I, I don't want to do, you know, take on ridiculous amounts of work, I tend to start being selective about doing smaller ones. Well, there's two questions, really. I mean, how do you set up, establish a new gig and to make certain it's successful? And the other one is, when do you drop a new gig when you think, well, this, this isn't working? Well, I don't really ever drop them. In the last 10 years or so, every gig we've taken on has been on a fixed fee basis. And so basically you get paid for running the gig and then you get paid for paying the acts. So basically it's really down to the venues whether or not they want to keep running it because mm. it's, you know, whether they're making money on it. Well, you've earned the right to be in that sort of uh, slightly more protected situation. Yeah, I mean, the ones I've been running since the early days, I've got about half a dozen that I, I promote myself, but they're all well established. So I've not had to, I've not had to make a decision to shut any of them. I mean, the ones I've been running for ages are Grantham and Ashby and Derby Blessington um, and the gong shows. So I take it for new acts who want to get in front of you, uh, the best thing is to try and do your gong night. Yeah, if they're, if they're new, fairly new, the gong night, anyone can do that. Um, we tend to give 10 open 10 spots to acts that are quite well established that, you know, are, are starting to break into paid work because the 10 spots um, we tend to use to, to, to find acts that will get put into paid spots on the bigger clubs. So when you do uh, your gong show, do you still do your famous uh, brutal feedback? <laughs> um Sometimes it depends. Uh, <laughs> not all acts like it, but I remember um, an open uh, an act who did a gong show, and um, and then he won his gong show, and then he he did a few ten spots for me, and every time he did the ten spot, he would do a totally different ten, and as you know, I said to him, you know, I, I think you'd be better honing one ten spot and improving it rather than just cut, totally changing it every time. Mm. Um, he completely ignored me, but his name was James Acaster and he did all right. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, that's the lesson there. If you want to be really successful, ignore Spiky Mike. Yeah, so, well, you know. <laughs> what's the best uh, comedy performance you've seen on your stage? I think, well, Rod Gilbert has been fortunate enough to have him doing previews before pretty well every tour he's done. Um, and they've always been absolutely ridiculously amazing. But the other one that really, really stood out is the one and only time I ever, I ever managed to book her. But um, Nina Conti did a tour preview at Ashby Lazuch, and that was just absolutely mind-blowingly brilliant. And what's the worst? You don't have to name names with the worst. <laughs> you just sort of... Tell me how um, bad it was. What what struck you about this? The worst performance. I remember there was one guy who who came to a gong show in Leicester, and he was doing sort of magic incorporated in his gig, and absolutely everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. And he was dropping props all on the floor, and then it, then they rolled down between the seats, and he couldn't get them back. <laughs> <laughs> it was just bad beyond belief. But really, as a promoter you tend to remember acts being really bad when you've paid them. <laughs> 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 but if you pay an act, if they're a headline act, 
and they're terrible or they've been really offensive and massively misread the room or, you know, abused the audience because they weren't doing well. Those are the ones that as a promoter really stick. Have you got any tips for aspiring promoters? Well, I think the thing I said earlier about not overcommitting is is important. Um, just make sure you treat acts well. You want them to play for you again. You want the feedback to other acts to be that it's a nice venue. Make sure that, you know, the room is set up well, the right number of chairs are out, that you don't put too many chairs so that no one's sat anywhere near the front. Make sure the bar know that they've got to, you know, be quiet. Um, make sure the pub, the bar is going to, or the venue is going to be supporting the night. It's worth its weight in gold when the venue is supporting it and they're putting posters up or telling their regulars about it. It's better to go to a less good venue that has really enthusiastic landlord than it is to go to a really good room where they're not bothered about it. And, and also, I think, to an extent, if you're going into a pub function room, make sure you're going into the sort of pub where the clientele of the people in that pub are the type of people you'd want in your comedy night. And the, pe- the audience that you want to attract need to be, be comfortable going to the gig as well. Yeah. Um, I think those are a few things that leap out. Make sure that your, you know, your PA and lights and stuff are, are, are decent enough for the room you've got. Mm. People need to hear properly. If you've got a crappy mic that cuts out, a cheapy radio mic or something, and it keeps cutting out, you're not going to, you know, it doesn't matter who your comedian is, it's going to be a terrible gig. How and when should comics approach you for gigs? We have the form on our website um, that's headed one to gig. So we just ask a few questions on there, you know, where where they're based, where they drive, things like that. Because for newer acts, particularly in gong shows, we'll try and arrange lift chairs particularly nowadays with the price of petrol if you if you want anything above a gong show make sure you've got a video and get a decent video as well that's actually got five or ten minutes i what i really don't like is show reels where they you know it's little bits of clips and stuff like that they're, they're just rubbish just watch the video now for someone asking for a full paid spot not even a, like a low progression spot and there's like a a two minute video clip started halfway through the video you think, why are you not showing the rest of that video? Is that the only bit? Is that the only bit that got laugh? <laughs> you know, you want to see how you introduce yourself on the stage and you know things like that. So probably a five, at least five minutes. Mm. If you're trying to get a pro spot, then you've got to be probably putting at least ten minutes on, and make sure it's decent quality as well. Mm. There's quite a few videos where you know there's a, a phone at the back of the room, and I'm struggling to hear it. Or, or get the subtitles on at least if the quality's not so good. But and sometimes people send you a video from like three years ago, and you think, "Have you died at every gig since then?" <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, if that one video happens to be amazing, and you know, you got a re- it's a really top club or something, fair enough. But if it's hmm. on off some, you know, Nokia thirty six ten or something, then you know. <laughs> so, could you describe your typical audience member? Well, we have a lot of gigs that are in um, small towns and villages. We don't have that much in big cities. So I think we have more of an older clientele than a lot of clubs. So probably most of our audiences are largely over 40 and quite coupley. And, yeah, probably mostly white audiences. um, Because, yeah, we are more sort of villages and smaller towns 
we've got hardly anything actually in city centres. So, you know, that we've got very diff- different demographics, I think, to a lot of the big city clubs. What changes have you seen in the world of comedy promotion over the years? One godsend has been the, the fact that everyone's got videos now. <laughs> Back yeah. in the day, when you had to uh, rely on chortle reviews <laughs> or how creative people could be on their CVs, um, you sometimes got some real turkeys where somebody would turn up and you think, how the hell have I booked them? How do they slip through the net? But, I mean, the standard has gone up way massively over the last 20 years because there's probably 20 times as many people doing comedy and there's probably 10 times as many clubs. When you think, you know, when I started out, Nottingham had just the tonic on a Sunday night. That was the only comedy club in the city. There must be 20 clubs running now. And there are so many people doing comedy now. I mean, literally count on the fingers of one hand the number of people that were doing comedy in a city the size of Nottingham 20 years ago. Whereas now, you know, there's loads of people. It also makes it more affordable to do now because you don't have to travel long distances. When I started, you couldn't do, even just do one gig a week, you were traveling 100 miles to do, you know, a lot of them. So what about as that as competition? I mean, it's more gigs, it's more competition. There is more competition for sure, um, but there are way more, way more gigs. So yeah, I think I think it's harder to get to, to the higher level. I mean, when I started, straight away, new acts would get put on to get given a five or ten minute slot on pro bills. My first ten gigs, I think nine of them were pro pro gigs. You didn't really get open mic gigs then, hardly at all. Whereas now, for any act to get onto a, a pro bill, they've got to have probably won a gong show mm. and then been given 10 spots at small gigs. You know, a lot of the 10 spots now, if they do a, a pro gig, are going down really, really well. Whereas when I was doing it, it was probably more a sympathy laugh. Uh, I think what you said was probably right. I think what happens is, you might even notice this, that you get more acts that are so tailored towards London because there's so many gigs or tailored to uh, the North West because there's so many gigs or tailored to the East Midlands. And when they mm. move out of those areas suddenly it doesn't go over as well. I don't know. I mean, I, I like to have acts from various places. I think the more variety on a on a bill you get, the better. And it's not easy to get that much variety sometimes, especially when you're, um, you know, out of the cities and in more provincial areas, getting diverse bills is, is tricky in, in all respects. Um, very hard to get female acts, all promoters, Although the TV of Live at the Apollo has put a lot of female acts on the bill, at grassroots entry level, there's it's about one in ten, the same as it's been for twenty years. We get probably most gong shows one, one or two at best female acts on the bill. Sometimes none at all, which is always disappointing. One area that I think diversity has been very good is disability. Yeah, there's a lot of disabled acts on on the circuit quite a number of cerebral palsy um, and obviously, you know, blind acts and deaf acts, all, you know, a, a lot of different disabilities. That's That's been a, a good, good positive development for sure. Are there any comedy promoters that you admire? Well, I have to have massive admiration for what the guys at Hot Water in Liverpool have done. I mean, it's just, I've not played there myself, but just from what I've seen and heard about the things they do, it's, they've been mind-blowing i think they've been real trailblazers on the circuit and it's hard to actually admire 
other comedy promoters that much because you don't tend not to go to any other clubs. So you don't really see comedy elsewhere, or certainly because I've got lots of clubs. I'm I'm at my own clubs all the time, so I never really get a chance to see anyone else's. But yeah, I think Hot Water are probably the ones that stand out. Well, yeah, they've definitely changed the business, and uh, it's their sort of uh, social media activities, which I think lots of people and and uh, yes, everyone's getting better cameras put into their clubs, and that's yes. down to them. Yes, yeah. Not just for security now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so how do you see the future of stand-up? You've got about four minutes to answer this. No pressure at all, but just see this as a five-minute spot and you're running out of time. I don't know. I just sort of keep doing what I'm doing. And, yeah, as you said, the social media thing is going to get progressively more important than your TV credits because the kids tend to watch, um, you know, that look at their phones more than they look at the TV. So... Um, if you've got a, a big social media following, that's quite possibly going to be worth more than being on, on Live at the Apollo. People filming their their shows and putting content online is is going to be more and more important to getting built up as a, as a good comic. I mean, I, I don't like to, a lot of our clubs, you know, I don't particularly try and book acts. Only the very biggest ones where I think oh, I need to have TV acts because it will help sell, you know, some extra tickets. But most importantly, I try and get acts that are funny. Yeah, I think that's one of the things about your clubs is that the audience trust you uh, as the uh, as the person picking the acts, which is a, a strong position to be in as a promoter. Yeah, because obviously, as we know, acts cancel quite a bit. Um, and when you've got TV act on, sometimes you can't replace them with a, a TV act. You have to replace them just with whoever's available. Mm. And we find that even when we have, you know, quite high-profile acts on, if they cancel, we get very few people wanting refunds. The vast majority will still turn up and they know they'll have a great show. That's probably the most important thing, really, as a promoter, mm. to be able to always put strong shows on so the audience trusts you and will turn up. Well, yeah, congratulations on the uh, 20 years. Thank you. Uh, and uh, I think I've still got 30 or 40 of your clubs still to do. So that's, <laughs> that's good news. Uh, and, you know, thanks for being on the show. I'll, I'll speak to you later. Thank you, Paul. Good to have a chat. So, yes, that was Spikey Mike. And you might have noticed it was just me that was talking yeah. to Spikey, uh, mainly because we decided that we shouldn't really have someone who wasn't booked by the promoter interview the promoter because obviously the first question you want to ask that promoter is why don't you book me yeah, give us a gig so that's why i talked to him but i mean it's turned out all right though isn't it it's turned out, fine. It turned out all right well at the time he didn't book me and now, now he is booking me so uh it's, that's the power of this podcast that's how yes, powerful yes. it's become even uh, after we've, we've never even released an episode but already we've no. done better out of it it's yeah. earned us money i'm playing grantham baby Woo! <laughs> Who wouldn't be pleased with that? I can't, can't wait. Um, yeah. And the other thing I think we should finish on is a lexicon of comedy words and phrases. For one thing, we call um, people who aren't comedians, audience members, punters, civilians sometimes we call them. Yeah. Uh, and uh, arseholes. Uh, arseholes, <laughs> we call them when we're in the car. <laughs> and my, one of my favourite ones, what comics do, is gig mass. 
Well, that's the process whereby you top, you toss up uh, what the uh, promoter is charging uh, as a ticket price on the door and what he's actually paying out, or he or she, I should say, uh, are paying out. And then you look at the discrepancy and then a bomb explodes in your head and you go, what the living fuck? Uh, we're being shafted sideways. I mean, I'm not saying that applies to all gigs, obviously. but I um, think it's a terrible thing to do. I'm really against because I've seen so many comics that walk on stage and will just be counting. <laughs> yeah. Instead of performing, you can see them just going, yeah, 10 rows, 15 people in each row, uh, 25 pounds a ticket. I'm only on about a one, huh? Uh, yeah, and it's, it's affecting what you're doing. But that's Don't why I'm mass. Other other comics, if they're in the show, they will tell you anyway. I mean, that, that I first heard that phrase, it's about must be about 15 years ago, and I was doing... Um, uh, an art centre um, somewhere in the south of England, in Sussex somewhere, shall we say. And uh, the Stuart Francis, the Canadian guy, who's since now uh, done his farewell tour, hasn't he? Um, me and another act. Uh, I think it was Man with a Beard, actually. So was Kevin that, McCarthy. Oh, I thought there was an act called Man with a Beard. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's what it used to be called. He used to oh, go really? under the name of Man with a Beard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were sat there in the dressing room moaning about the fact that it was um, there were a series of Christmas gigs and they were bit, they were all paying about 25 quid a ticket and we were all on poxy money and we were going mad, you know. But Stuart Francis came, hey, hey, guys. He said, don't do the gig math because obviously North American. Don't do gig math because that way lies madness. And he was right. He was right. You shouldn't do it. And, um, yeah, you've got a story about gig math in another comedy club. Yeah, yeah, uh, this is a comedy club, which shall be nameless. Uh, But they, again, it's a Christmas gig situation. Uh, They were all paying, you know, 25 quid a ticket. And uh, the acts got together. There was four acts on the bill. And um, Smug told me that he was incandescent with the rage and said, right, we're going upstairs to challenge the promoter. But as they were on the stairs, one of them turned around and just said, just so you know, before we go in the room, I will fold. So that was no point so in they, going well, they, in the they, 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 they all just turned that, that, went that, down the stairs like that. Went, okay, well, that's it then. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the problem, isn't it? You know, because yeah, it, it, yeah. Uh, and it's in, in the end, we are all sort of single soul traders, and so you know, a, a single well, it's a lack of unity amongst us, really, when it comes yeah. down to it. I thought you were going to get very deeply philosophical there. So we were all single souls. Yeah, I was going along <laughs> that line. The cosmos. Yeah. Floating away, sort of trying to find some sort of something yeah. to latch onto. Yeah. And our last world. words will be, who books that? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good point to finish this podcast. Um, as always, I think we sh- you should always say with any podcast. Uh, and also, this I think this will be edited up and put on YouTube. So uh, subscribe and like and all the rest of the stuff. You're supposed to do. We haven't got any merchandise, so we might sell some old underpants or something like that. We've got lying around. But uh, yeah, if you've enjoyed this, tell your friends, um, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll see you in the next one. This show is part of Podomity, the podcast comedy network. We're the best kept secret on Acast. Why not laugh at what else we've got? Check out podomity.com now.